0: C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now,
1: here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us. I'm Kevin Hirsch, your host today, as we wish Nancy a speedy recovery. We would also like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website. To learn more about their products, keeping environments safer, CloroxHealthCare.com dot forward slash C-Diff radio. It is with great pleasure to welcome our guests Nicole Bookstaver Farm Farm D, excuse me, and Brandon Booksaver, Farm D. They join us today to discuss managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge. Just a really quick bio on Nicole. Nicole is the manager of the outpatient pharmacy at Palmetto Health in Columbia, South Carolina. The pharmacy offers a discharge prescription delivery service for patients leaving the hospital. Nicole also serves as the PGY1 residency program director in the outpatient arena. And Brandon Bookstaver is an Associate Professor and Director of Residency and Fellowship Training at the University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy in Columbia, South Carolina, USA. Brandon maintains a practice site in infectious disease and antimicrobial stewardship at Palmetto Health Richland, the affiliated community teaching school. He has over 75 peer-reviewed publications and is actively involved in numerous professional and community organizations. And at this time, I would love to welcome our guests to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Nicole and Brandon. Thank
2: you for having us.
3: Yes, thank you.
1: Hey, Brandon, how, how big of a burden is C. difficile infection in your area? Well, Kevin,
3: you know, just to set the stage a little bit, um, when you think about C. difficile infection... Uh, even estimates from six, seven years ago nationally in the u s we we're thinking we're half a million infections a year, and mm. about eighty eighty three thousand eighteen percent of those get at least one recurrence, and almost thirty thousand of those die within thirty days. So oh. nationally, a significant burden. Mm. You know how does that compare to South Carolina? Uh, interestingly enough, some of our colleagues here who are involved in the antimicrobial stewardship collaborative of South Carolina, they, they looked at a study in South Carolina from 2015 and 2016, uh, through, through the end of 2017 and really found that we're averaging about 139 cases per 100,000 person years. Now to put that in perspective, we have about 5 million people in South Carolina and we had over an 18 month period, about 10,000 cases of C. diff. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty big burden here and pretty interestingly that about 50% of those actually were from the community. Um, So you kind of split the difference there. 50% are coming from the healthcare and uh, associated or hospital arena, and then 50% are coming from the community, which is really an emerging problem with with C. diff and something that is quite concerning for us that we're we're trying to address.
1: Oh, and, and what are the biggest risk factors that you
3: see? Well, I think, uh, you know, to, to make sure people have some background here, um, you know, antibiotics are the primary risk factor, of course, they they disrupt our good bacteria, our normal microbiome in our gut. And as that disruption occurs, if you acquire the C. difficile spores, they do live as, as spores as the, the radio show name would, would imply here. So they, they survive in the environment quite well. And if you acquire those and you really don't have your natural defense system, your good bacteria in your gut, it's really easy to acquire. So we see high-risk antibiotics um, uh, as our, our primary risk factor. Um, so that could include uh, medications such as uh, carbapenems, which are usually an IV antibiotic that we use for drug-resistant bacteria. Uh, they may include fluoroquinolones, uh, which are, antibiotics that are used for numerous types of infections, uh, and, and then other other drugs that are in the penicillin category or cephalosporin category that we use both inside the hospital
1: and out. Uh, outside and these, of and that… And these, are, these are the antibiotics that pose the biggest risk, correct?
3: They are. They are definitely the antibiotics mm-hmm. that pose the biggest mm-hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. And outside of antibiotics, we think really things that address, uh, kind of change the maybe the acid in your stomach. So, for example, proton pump inhibitors, um, when we disrupt the, the pH and the acid in your stomach, that can also lead to to risk. And that would be things like uh, omeprazole that people use for, for reflux, uh, even available over the counter uh, in the United States. So, something that's easy, easily
1: acquired. And what diagnostic strategies have you put into place at your institution to combat the C. difficile infection rate, Brandon? We've had,
3: we've had a little bit of a, uh, a challenge with that, um, and I think that's something that, uh, that comes about in, in, many, in many settings. At our institution, we use uh, something called PCR testing, polymerase chain reaction, and it's a, a test that looks for one of the primary toxins, toxin B, that is present in, in most uh, aggressive or virulent C. difficile infections. And that test is done on the stool. And it's highly sensitive, meaning it really picks up pretty much all cases. It, it's rare to, to miss one. Now, it's so sensitive that you could perhaps pick up patients who aren't really infected. They're only carriers of C. diff. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of an important point that not everybody has to be infected. Some people could just be carriers of C. diff. Mm-hmm. And so w- with that said, when you have a really sensitive test and it may come back positive if you're testing the wrong people, we have a C. difficile committee at the hospital who works closely with our microbiology lab and our antimicrobial stewardship group uh, to really assess this. And from a, a series of, of things that we implemented, as an example, um, we wouldn't allow folks to repeat a C. difficile test uh, if there had been one that was negative um, in the previous week. And so you couldn't have an immediate repeat test. We also didn't allow people to repeat testing if they had a positive test to confirm that someone had cleared uh, C. diff or not. Because, again, these spores uh, and C. diff will, will survive for quite a while. So a positive test is likely to be positive for, for quite a while. And so with some of these strategies and then really really good housewide education, uh, we were really able to reduce our inappropriate C. diff uh, by about 45% after implementing uh, this, these education and kind of uh, our electronic health record stops in the computer system for our prescribers. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so we've been very pleased at how we've been able to cut down on some of those, uh, some of the inappropriate C. difficile testing in our, in our institution.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And, And are you encountering patients with recurrence?
3: Yes, uh, unfortunately, we are just like everyone uh, nationally. Again, the numbers are are somewhere around 20% of patients will will have a recurrence, and we're right in line there. Um, our, our data over a three-year period were somewhere around 18, 19% uh, who will encounter a recurrence, and and this is not. It's again, it's not something new. This is this is one of the challenges that people deal with, which is why you really try to avoid C diff from the very beginning. So that you're not having to, to deal with these. Uh, one point to that is, once a patient has one recurrence, so let's say you know 20% recur, uh, of those that experience one recurrence, another 40% of those will experience a second recurrence, and then from then you kind of get into the cycle where you know, 60-80% of patients will continue in this recurrent type of cycle and uh, almost become dependent on chronic medications and and that's a tough cycle to break. There are strategies for that, but that's a tough cycle to break. So this is prevention from the beginning um, is, is one of the bigger things to try to avoid that, uh, that proverbial cycle that, that some folks, unfortunately, will fall into.
1: Could, Brandon, could we spend just a couple of minutes on talking about the risk factors that are driving this reoccurrence?
3: Sure. Um, I think that
1: uh, there's a few, and,
3: and they're very similar to some of the other risk factors for getting C. diff in the beginning. And I, I didn't go through all those, and, and I'm not going to give you a laundry list now. But, you know, as you age, that's certainly a, a risk factor uh, for both getting initial C. diff and recurring. And most people who get C. diff, actually, our average age that we see here is around 60 years old. Um, it, but as you age, so once you're over 65, 75, 85, there are higher risk factors there. Uh, one of the biggest risk factors that I think is, is grossly underestimated is when a patient has to stay on other antibiotics for some other infection while they're being treated for C. diff. That is a really big risk factor. And, and if I can, Kevin, I'll just explain that real fast. When, If you remember me saying, you know, antibiotics are, are our biggest risk factor because they kill our normal our normal bacteria, our good bacteria in our gut. And so, for example, if a patient has a pneumonia, bacterial pneumonia and they're requiring antibiotics for that bacterial pneumonia and then they also get C. diff but they have to stay on antibiotics for their pneumonia. It's very difficult to heal your microbiome and treat this C. difficile infection if you're also having to stay on antibiotics that are killing those good bacteria continuously and and putting you at at greater risk. So we really try to, to minimize that impact by taking people off these concomitant other mm-hmm. antibiotics if we can, but uh, it is a difficult um, it is a difficult scenario. We think non-adherence is also a contribute a contributing factor. So if patients complete only let's say six days of their 10 or 14 day therapy and they discharge, which is what we'll talk about a little later, uh, right. that hopefully we're trying to combat that by uh, by some of the strategies that we can we can discuss. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention is I think good effective treatment protocols in your institution where you're choosing the right Medications for the patient, based on severity, based on other host factors, based on whether they've had recurrence or not. I think those are those are important strategies we've employed to help reduce that risk of recurrence.
1: Oh, fantastic! That that is such important information, Brandon. Thank you very much. And I want to thank um, Nicole and Brandon. I appreciate you sharing this information with our global listeners. We're we're going to pause right now for a commercial break, and when we return. We will continue discussing managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge with Nicole Bookstaver, PharmD, and Brandon Bookstaver, PharmD. Stay tuned and we'll return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare.
4: are making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom, entered and exited a patient's room, visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand-washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to
1: our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to the program, Nicole and Brandon. If you're just joining us, we're talking about managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge. Um, now, Brandon, how are you helping to reduce recurrence? You know we're we're doing
3: our best to to implement some of these treatment protocols uh, that I alluded to before. Um, that's one thing we're doing to ensure that people have the the appropriate treatments um, for the appropriate duration. Um, there are new Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines out there, and we also have new institutional guidelines that that help do that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit in just a second about our pharmacy concierge service for transitions of care and in, ensuring adherence, um, which which mm-hmm. would be important but I also think reducing some of the modifiable risk factors that I mentioned, there's certain non-modifiable things. We can't change someone's age. We can't change if they have a disease state such as cancer that may increase their risk of recurrence. But we can modify some of the other things if they're on a proton pump inhibitor, if they're an acid reducer medication, if they're receiving an inappropriate broad-spectrum antibiotic, perhaps we can either discontinue that or or reduce that. So our stewardship efforts are, are pretty strong in that area.
1: Now, now, having said that, how do you think adherence may play a role in CDI reoccurrence? I'd love to hear from both of you. So, um, Brandon, why don't you go first?
3: Well, this, uh, I think, is important um, because, you know, believe it or not, and maybe somebody can correct me after we say this uh, online, uh, but I'm not aware of really any solid data looking at adherence to C. difficile therapy in the outpatient arena. And so one of the things that concerns me is in some of the, some of the big randomized control trials that are conducted, the studies that are conducted to bring some of the drugs to market, when they include both inpatient and outpatient folks, there is always an increased risk of failure and normally an increased risk of recurrence in the outpatient cohort or the outpatient group within that study. And that's mm-hmm. always been concerning. So it just made us think, you know, if patients are completing five or six days of therapy, in the hospital and then they're going home and they need 10 to 14 days of therapy to complete it, or perhaps they're even on a longer six to eight week course because they've had recurrence. Are we missing people at that point of discharge and and transition to care? And maybe adherence is part of the reason to that, that they're not picking up their medication and they're not able to complete their 10 to 14 day course or longer Because of that, maybe they're having a recurrence. So I think that that there may be, don't have the evidence for it, but certainly that has driven some of our thought
1: process. All right, Nicole, can you build on that?
2: Sure. And with that theory in mind, that was kind of the whole impetus of knowing that adherence is extremely important, that we started out with um, a resident project that focused in on this. And we now, over the course of a year, kind of have processes that are already in place that... Um, teams both on the inpatient and outpatient side are it's kind of second nature and it's just become part of what we do for patients with C. Diff. so the adherence piece is, is critical um, without again that hardcore that we know of evidence out there and so we're trying to put tools into place as we'll describe um, in the next few minutes kind of specific things that we do with patients and as a care team to make sure that patients understand how important adherence is
1: and brings up the next question. What do you think are the barriers, Nicole, to adherence in CDI?
2: Sure. So I'll hit on kind of three different things. So in mm-hmm. some cases, by the point of discharge, the patient is symptomatic. So the most aggravating symptoms that they've had with their C. diff have kind of subsided. And so that urgency for treatment as perceived by the patient has decreased drastically, which then that kind of leads into... Maybe if they haven't been, it hasn't been discussed with them, they don't understand the importance of one, starting the regimen, um, following it as prescribed. And in some cases, I think another barrier to adherence is that some of our drug regimens are a little bit more complicated and where you have to take doses four times a day for several days. Um, and maybe that doesn't resonate. Um, and I think kind of the third thing is, um, some of our regimens are common generic drugs. Others are um, things that aren't readily necessarily available in a a community or retail pharmacy. So you'll have somebody leave the hospital, they go to their big box retail and they have trouble getting the med, accessing it, or you run into insurance problems. And then they might just say, I don't feel too bad and forget about it. And then that's where that cycle that we uh, alluded to earlier kind of kicks in.
1: You know, Nicole, when I read your bio, what stood out to me was the concierge service. Would you would you mind yeah. telling our listeners about your pharmacy concierge service, the general functions?
2: Sure. So the concierge service is literally, it's almost like taking the pharmacy um, to the bedside of the patient before they leave the hospital. So at the point of the patient still being in the hospital and up on the unit, somebody on that team, um, it could be the pharmacist up on the unit, physician, physician. Um, Nurse, care coordinator, anybody can kind of initiate the service. Um, Those prescriptions get sent to us in the outpatient pharmacy. Um, We profile those prescriptions. We uh, collect insurance information um, if the patient has that. If they are unfunded, we kind of go down a different path as far as um, patient assistance and medication access. We troubleshoot any issues, so if an insurance is requiring a prior authorization or more robust clinical documentation, we'll help facilitate that, fill the prescription, and then we deliver that to the bedside, and a pharmacist does counseling right there before the patient leaves the hospital. So what we've tried to do is, at any point where... We could deviate from the prescription actually getting filled and into the patient's hands. We try to address all those things up front before they leave the institution. Um, The other thing, I mean, why we do this is oftentimes if you have somebody that leaves the hospital, goes to a community pharmacy, if there are questions or insurance issues, it's very challenging for a pharmacy to get back in touch with a provider that's practicing from the hospital. It's not like calling their office and being able to talk to a nurse and and resolve things. It's a little bit more complex. And so if we can address all those issues that might come up proactively, it creates a more seamless transition.
1: That that is fantastic. I I love listening to everything you just said. Now, how was that developed at your institution, Nicole?
2: Sure. So, several years ago, we might be going on four or five years ago now, we actually started in the arena of heart failure. um, And um, not to bring another disease state into the discussion, but complexity of medications, the fact that heart failure medications change a lot, the importance of getting meds in hand before people go home, education. I mean, a lot of those things parallel um, what patients with C. diff are experiencing. And so, we started in that arena and quickly... um, spread the service housewide. Um, and so we, we are housewide in our entire adult side and then also our children's hospital. Um, and then ultimately this past year is where one of our uh, post-grad year one residents who's really focusing her um, practice in the ambulatory setting tackled right. this as a, a resident project where we developed the specific processes and handoffs and things like that.
1: Now, if you already answered the part of the question, I, I have a, a, something about the involvement in CDI. Did, how did it start out with involvement in CDI or antibiotics? You know, just elaborate sure. on that, if you mind,
2: Nicole. Yeah, so I think kind of the first place that it started was that convenience factor and that troubleshooting piece and where, um, you know, antibiotics that are probably not kept on a shelf in a retail pharmacy or might require prior authorizations, things that are more unique, um providers and the care teams around the patients started realizing, oh, if we can take care of these things now with concierge before they leave, you know, there'll be better outcomes, access, all those things would be um, taken care of. And so it kind of started with antibiotic access. And then um, once we then obviously... C. diff um, is a huge quality metric um, for not only our health system but across the country um, and from a service perspective and customer service and making sure that patients have what they need at the point of discharge, that's where all of those things kind of, um, I don't know, culminated into the project itself and really focusing in on C. Diff specifically.
1: Wow. And and how did and this is gonna, I'm gonna ask both of you because this is this is um something that I think our listeners would want to know is how did the transition to involve CDI management? Nicole, would you mind?
2: So that was um so let's see. So the can you repeat the question one more time?
1: Sure, yeah, how did it transition to involve CDI management?
2: I think we realized, um, and Brandon can chime in too, um, but we realized in order, we really needed to kind of focus in on and do some tailored things as far as when the patient presents to the hospital and we know that they've been tested for C. diff and had a positive PCR. um, You know, our antibiotic stewardship team is kind of the first set of pharmacy folks that knows about that. Communicating that to then the team that's taking care of the patient on the floor and then ultimately communicating the need to, all right, we have a patient that's going to be going home soon. Do we have these meds on the shelf? Do we need to, do we need to order them? Um, and being more systematic about the approach. Um, because, of course, on the day of discharge, you know, once we say, all right, we're sending somebody home, everything happens really, really fast. And so if we don't have those other things set up nicely in place, the process is going to fail somewhere. So we as a team figured out how we systematically can can be proactive and making sure that we're ready to set these folks up for everything that they need once they walk out the door.
1: Now, now Brandon, we only have a couple of minutes left. Would you like to also answer that question, if you don't mind, is is how did it transition to involve CDI management? Sure. I, I mean, I think
3: Nicole's really answered it with, this is a, a based on a project, a, a resident project that... Um, one of her ambulatory care residents worked on, and we'll be able to describe that in a little more detail in just a second. But the whole idea is, you know, C. diff is a quality issue. And when you have recurrence, most of those patients, when they recur, are going to come back to the same institution that they had their original infection. And if they don't, even if they go to a neighboring institution, there was an invested interest here to try to reduce those readmissions because recurrences are often involved with readmissions, which would reduce significant health care costs. So I think you had a lot of, we had a lot of buy-in from quality and our clinical staff when it came to uh, implementing this type of, of CDI concierge service.
1: Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. And, and just the last question. We have just about a minute left, Nicole. And since this was based on a project, could you tell us more about the collaboration involved with getting this off the ground?
2: Sure, and I'll kind of start with a laundry list of uh, maybe not all-inclusive of of folks involved. So, antibiotic stewardship team, which involves not only um, pharmacists, but ID physicians, you have your pharmacists on the floor, um, physicians, nurses, um, acute care coordinators or case managers and social workers, your outpatient pharmacists. um, We have a group that does discharge follow-up phone calls for our health system. They were involved. Um, pharmacy informatics, so we did use some of our clinical decision support, um, some of our programs that allow us to communicate with each other as far as transitions go. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people at the table, and so it involved um, a lot of discussions, kind of process mapping, and, you know, what would the ideal flow of...
1: It's an exactly. entire team. Nicole. Well, you know what? Exactly. I, I, I want to thank you. We're going to break for commercial, but I want to thank you for providing these key points. We're going to pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we'll be discussing managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge with Nicole Bookstaver, PharmD, and Brandon Bookstaver, PharmD. Stay tuned, and we'll return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Mm-hmm.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: The C. Diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. Diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, Treatments and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919 201 1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C-Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-Diff. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C-Diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C-Diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C-Diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust.
1: Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. And it is a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Nicole Bookstaver PharmD and Brandon Bookstaver PharmD, here to discuss managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge. Now, Brandon, what are the roles for the inpatient side?
3: Well, Kevin, uh, in regards to our our C. Diff, C. diff infection transitions of care, our inpatient pharmacists are really um we've really pushed uh, to change the culture of investing in that transition care. Cause it's very difficult. Um, it's quite time consuming. Um, there, there's a lot of communication that has to happen, but our inpatient pharmacist uh, really starts with our inpatient antimicrobial stewardship team. Uh, we call it ASST as our antimicrobial stewardship and support team. We're alerted to any positive C difficile toxin alerts. The, so the diagnostics we talked about earlier, and we review the patient case. We make sure that they're uh, appropriately managed and treated. Uh, we collaborate with their primary team or any consult teams that might be on as part of the case. And we go ahead and set the stage to to really stay on top of discharge planning uh, because that's one of the big keys as part of this concierge service is when is the patient going to be discharged? And, and probably one of our bigger barriers is, you know, we, we don't want to be caught off guard if we can help it that, oh, they're going home in 30 minutes. We'd like to know, you know, I think the plan is we might get them out tomorrow or the next day. We have time to plan and then and really communicate with our, our outpatient colleagues there. We also provide inpatient education uh, to the patients, but also to their families if they're present. Uh, and we have a patient education sheet that we provide to them and walk through
1: it uh, with them as well. Well, that's very complete. And Nicole, what are the roles of the outpatient side?
2: Sure. So it kind of starts with receipt, well, acknowledgement of that we might have a patient going. And at that point, it may be that we don't know what their funding looks like, and we want to run some of the different regimen options. Um, But then we ultimately process the prescription, troubleshoot anything. Um, Like I mentioned before, uh, we provide That education gets reiterated again then by the outpatient person. Um, We reference that written document. Um, While patients are in the hospital, they're a little disorganized and, you know, they have a lot of stuff coming at them. At the point of leaving, they're focused on heading out the door. And so some of what you might verbally say can get lost. And so really providing something that is comprehensively written down on paper that they can reference, we find very helpful. Um, And then in some cases, at least with the resident project, she was, Doing a lot of the follow-up phone calls, um, that responsibility is kind of shared um, now. But going back to the whole thing, communication is definitely key. And where it can be proactive communication helps things go a lot smoother, um, as Brandon kind of already mentioned.
1: Oh, you're so right on that communication. And, and you know what? I want to ask you, Brandon, if you don't mind, um, when it comes to the uh, managing general patient case, what is the time commitment for managing a, a general uh, patient case?
3: Well, it's a good question. I, I think um, there's a couple of key critical points that uh, where, where there's a time investment. One is the initial assessment of the patient case with the team to determine that appropriate antibiotic. Um, whether that be vancomycin, uh, fidaxomycin, uh, other medications, uh, we also will discuss duration. Um, there may be other stewardship things we need to control these modifiable risk factors. So, you know, you're talking a, a time investment there, uh, as well up front. But then you have the other planning that we just discussed on and education pieces. Uh, all, all told, we usually spend just under 50 minutes uh, with each patient uh, managing uh, part of the C. difficile right. transition mm-hmm. and care. And, and so that that in itself is is a time commitment. But, again, we see the value there uh, and, and see that it's something that, while it may seem like a lot, it's certainly doable. And that does not all occur in the same day. So right. that's really split up over the, the duration of the patient's stay. Um, although it does exclude the, some of the outpatient work where there's follow-up phone calls placed to monitor adherence or uh, follow-up visit. So it, it is a time commitment, but certainly one that is doable, especially when uh, spread out over, uh, over the patient's length of stay.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about management, uh, you know, Nicole, how many, how many CDI patients have you managed through your concierge service?
2: So, in using our resident project and specifically her results, um, so we had 120 patients that have filtered through the service, um, and part of the project was measuring adherence of the process, and that was divided into four components. So, the stewardship evaluation um, that Brandon described in the beginning, actually delivering the meds to the patient. Education and then the follow up phone call, um, and in about 86% of those cases, or 86% of the time, we got two or more components completed, um, and then three or more components completed. Right at 50%, a lot of the time, what was what happened would be, you know, we evaluated the patient and they ended up getting discharged from the hospital before they could get the service, and a lot of times that might have been on the weekend or after hours. Um, but yeah, 120 patients total. Um, and then this process, like I mentioned, our resident completed her training um, this past summer, but the process still exists, and we're we're still using it with concierge to this day.
1: Can you describe some of the results of that service, Nicole?
2: Sure, and I, I kind of alluded to some of them, and Brandon, you're more than welcome um, to jump in. Um, but like I said, I mean, the big pieces were making sure that, I mean, we identified the patients very, very well, almost 100% of the time, Um, and kind of as the service went on and people got um, educated and we did, uh, the resident did re-education quite frequently, uh, that point of going back to communication with each other and kind of the proactive and anticipating um, patients leaving the hospital, we got better at, at catching them and making sure we had therapy in hand. Maybe it was that we delivered the prescription the day before, they actually left. That okay. way, if, uh, you know, a patient departed the hospital, they already had that in hand. Um, okay.
3: All right, yeah, I, can, it, it, I can jump in with one comment, right. if that's okay. Um, the, you know, one of the things that was big about this is we, we screened about 225 cases, and because part of the program is to deliver the medications to the bedside, many we realized that many of these patients, actually about 25% of them, were actually heading to a rehab facility or another facility where they would receive the medications directly, and so that those folks really got excluded from our service, and that was a little bit surprising. But the other thing that that one of the big results is that um, realizing how many people don't complete their C diff therapy inpatient. So of our 225 folks that we screened, 50 of those completed their medications inpatient, leaving the other 175 would complete it outpatient. So a significant percent of people who are being treated for C. diff in the hospital could utilize this service because they're needing to complete their antibiotic therapy for for C. difficile infection on the outpatient Mm -hmm. arena. So I think that was a, that was a big part of the results for us. Uh, and, and most of these patients are on oral vancomycin. Uh, a little over three quarters of them were on oral vancomycin. Um, th- things have changed a little bit in that access environment uh, as well over time because we now have a reconstitutable oral vancomycin solution that's available, um, as an outpatient prescription now, which is a little bit different than we had, uh, last year at this time, which is, which is a positive. So that's, that's been you know, some of our other key results for this, but we have so many case examples to share now where patients have you know, could, weren't going to be able to pay a, a $45, $50 copay at an outpatient pharmacy, and they just wouldn't have completed it had they not gone through our, our concierge service to complete therapy. So we've, those, those case examples really mean a lot.
1: Now, now we only have a few minutes left until break, so I want to ask both of you, what have you learned since the inception of this service? Go ahead, Nicole. Why don't you chime in first?
2: Um, so, one thing that I had uh, just jotted down to make sure that we mentioned again, we kept talking about communication between each other as the provider team, but what this service, I feel like, kind of pushes is communication with the patient and the patient needs to be involved in the plan as well. So we as a healthcare team can have this awesome idea, but if the patient's not you know, willing to get it or work with us or, 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 or take it once they get home, then it's all null and void. So I, I think really involving the patient in the plan and making sure that they're on board, um, that we've addressed any of their questions and concerns, right. is, is critical to then it being successful down the road. And I think we just can't take for granted so involving you, the patient in that process.
1: How about you, Brandon? What have you learned since the inception of the service?
3: Well, one, it was really important for us to expand the service to all of our facilities. And that was, a, that was really um, facilitated by expanding concierge to all the facilities. And, and I think that actually our, our C. difficile pilot project, if you will, helped, uh, helped push that. So I'm pleased uh, about that because now we're able to offer that type of thing to each of our, our for hospitals in in the Midlands. The other thing too is we have early results. These were presented at uh, ASHP mid-year clinical meeting in December by the resident Victoria. And we we have 96 of those 120 patients so far where we have a 90-day recurrence rate. And if you remember, I said our average recurrence rate in South Carolina and locally is about 18%. Well, again, it's preliminary data, but of those who underwent the concierge service, their recurrence rate was 11%. Uh, and so we're, we're excited by those numbers, but certainly they require more, more verification and a further analysis, um, final analysis, but at least preliminarily, we, we were excited about that. So those are some, uh, encouraging things that, that we learned, um, uh, through, through many things. Even the fall of phone calls allowed us that.
1: Well, you know what? This is this is so important. This information, and I'm just losing track of time because the day's just flying by. So we need to go to break to another commercial. But anyway, um, I would like to thank you, uh, Nicole and Brandon, for providing this in-depth information to our global listeners. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we're going to be reviewing the key points discussing with our guests. Um, So, please stay tuned. We will return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The CEDA Foundation offers global community support sessions. CEDIF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C-Diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. are listening to C. diff spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org
1: now back to our program
0: here again is your host nancy Kerala.
1: welcome back to the program and we thank our listeners joining us today it is a pleasure to reintroduce our guests nicole bookstaver farm d and brandon bookstaver farm d here to discuss managing C. difficile infections at the point of discharge. Welcome back to the program, Nicole and Brandon. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. And before we close the program today, um, heck, Brandon, what recommendations do you have for others? Well, that's uh, that's a little bit of a loaded question. Well, uh, you know, I I guess a
3: couple of things that that build off some things we've been talking about. Um, One, you really have to assess your C. difficile infection locally, uh, and, and this is from the institutional perspective. So, um, you know, every every population is different. Every institution is different. So if, if you're treating someone, um, you know, whether it's domestically or internationally, uh, even 90 miles down the road from Columbia, it could be very different. So I think you have to assess your local C. difficile infection, meaning who, what patients are getting them, um, what, what are your risk factors? What are your problem areas there? What modifiable factors do you have that can affect that? Um, m- many people have shown that it could be a diagnostic issue where you're you're overdiagnosing, meaning you're catching people who don't really have active infection, but they, they, uh, they have colonization, uh, where they don't have active infection, but they still are, are testing positive. And so certainly assessing it locally. That's always very important uh, so that you can address something. From the transitions of care side uh, with this and, and adherence, you know I think it's important for people to think about how they can improve adherence. Um, you know, is it an education of patients? Um, is it an education of providers? Is it an access issue? Uh, is it working with your local community pharmacies to ensure access? Maybe you don't have the opportunity to have an on-site outpatient pharmacy as part of your uh, as part of your institution. So how can there be a collaboration there um, that, that's formed across the community? We have a Midlands Outpatient Stewardship Initiative uh, that is, is really a collaborative of several outpatient groups, physician practices, uh, emergency departments in our area, and we focus on disease states like this to, to help um, with kind of a, a collaborative message uh, and, and a unified message there. I think the last recommendation I have is, is where we're empowering the patient to really to really embrace this. Um, you know, antimicrobial resistance, antibiotic resistance is getting a lot of popular talk now. Um, vaccines is getting a lot of popular talk. And, and C. difficile infection as an, a negative outcome of the inappropriate use of antibiotics is something we have to continue to impress upon patients. Um, you know, many times antibiotics are given for viral infections. And right. how bad is that if a patient develops C. diff because they received antibiotics for a viral infection, when in reality, they probably didn't need antibiotics uh, at all anyway. And so really empowering and educating patients, uh, but working with them directly uh, uh, before they get C. diff, but even when they get C. diff to ensure that they recognize how important adherence is and answering any questions they may have, because it is kind of a scary thing once they hear they have this, this C. diff infection or where the the threats may be
1: or, or the risk may be going forward. Okay. Okay. That, that's, that's incredible. Thank you very much. And, and are there any final thoughts? Brandon, why don't you go ahead? And, any final thoughts? And Nicole, what are your final thoughts? Well, I think one of the, the final thoughts
3: I'll have is, is we, we are attacking this in one other way that I, I didn't mention, and I think it's another way to think about um, patients often have allergies to antibiotics in their patient charts. Uh, and one of those being penicillin allergy is the most common. Uh, In fact, about 10% of the U.S. population, so you're talking 30 or or 35 million people, have a documented penicillin allergy, and only about 10% of of those are actually true allergies. And what we know is that patients with a penicillin allergy actually have an increased risk of C. difficile infection, most likely because they're receiving other antibiotics because of their allergy that are either second-line or higher risk to cause C. diff. So one of the big strategies that both patients and providers can take is through allergy reconciliation. Um, Mm -hmm. We've implemented penicillin allergy skin testing here that our pharmacists do, Uh, and and so that's a that's kind of a unique strategy to attack C. difficile infection, Uh, but something that both patients can get involved in from an allergy standpoint and understanding the importance of communicating that Uh, and then vice versa, how providers can get involved. And speaking of allergies, if someone gets C. difficile infection from antibiotics, I think it's very important for the patients that are out there listening, that almost should be communicated just like an allergy to your providers. Make sure that anybody that's going to provide prescribe you antibiotics, they know that you have a history of C. difficile infection. Yes, it's not an allergy, but to me, it should be talked about in the same vein because it certainly means you're at risk for developing it in in the
1: future that is such an important thought oh my gosh thank you very much brandon nicole do you have any final thoughts
2: sure so i think kind of for for patients just you know encouraging folks to not be shy and engaging in their care plan i mean this is about you and it's your care plan um so you know engaging asking questions um with everything that we've talked about No how to matter how big or how small as providers there is something that you can do to implement a standard process to, to help care for, for patients with C. diff. Um, and I think it's really important that these groups, patients and providers, all of us in the interdisciplinary team keep talking um, and continue the conversation to, I don't know, reduce any stigma that's associated with C. diff, but then um, to just keep the education going um, and making sure that people are equipped with the right information.
1: Wow. You know, that, that, I got to tell you, you, you both were so inspiring and so full of information today. I'm sitting here listening to every word, hanging on everything. But look, um, the day has come to a close. And so, Nicole and Brandon, we want to thank you for joining us today on C. diff, spores, and more global broadcasting. And we're grateful for your dedication in healthcare and putting patients first. Um, I'm just going to interject a note for myself. I, I'm inspired by both of you, and I can't thank you enough. So look, at, at, at this time, the members of the C. diff foundation wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention and treatments protecting the micro- microbiome and addressing environmental safety worldwide. And To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress and how you may be able to take part in a clinical study, please visit the CDIFF Foundation's website. That's www.cdifffoundation.org and click on the tab Clinical Trials in Progress. Please help them help you to help others. And a real quick announcement. The third annual global C. diff awareness walk takes is taking place on May 18th. Mark it in your calendar. May 18th in Teaneck, New Jersey, Newport, Ritchie, Florida, and the Leicester, England will be led by Dr. Martha Clokey and her lab. Take a walk in the park to promote C. diff infection awareness and help to, us to save lives worldwide. For more information, please visit the website, www.cdiff.com foundation.org. We look forward to meeting you on May 18th. So put that in your calendar and we send our get well wishes to all the patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and many wellness training illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Kevin Hirsch with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing and a good day.